impunity to sinning, remove from their manuscripts the Lord's act of forgiveness towards the adulterers, ad- adulteress, as if he who has said sin no more had granted permission to sin. And another guy called Ambrose, around about just before him, said the same. So it would seem that these were actually in the scriptures before. Now, Jerome, who wrote the Vulgate, which was the Latin version of the Bible, which everyone used up for about a thousand years, um, he said that he knew of manuscripts that contained this, both Greek manuscripts and, and Latin ones. So I personally think I would trust some of the traditions rather than some of the modern scholars. And there's no doubt that elements of this just seem right. I don't think even modern scholars believe that this is um, a false story. They believe that the story actually happened. They just don't believe that John wrote it. And they, they have questions of whether it should be included in the scripture. But personally, I, 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 will, I, I believe that we should accept that this is scripture. And it has so much to teach us. And to cast it away, I think, would be wrong. So that's where I am. Other people will say different things. And if you go online and research this, you will find all sorts of arguments for and against. And sometimes things seem to get so much more complicated than they used to be. But I think we can trust that this is, that this is um, part of Scripture and we should learn from it. And the place where it falls in John, it seems to fit. Um, because this is a time when um, Jesus is in conflict with the Pharisees and this just seems to fit nicely. And I think that's part of the background to this story. And if we've been reading the other chapters, you will see that the Pharisees are out to get Jesus. They're out to trip him up in some way. And it all stems back months before when he healed a man at the pool of Bethsaida. And it was a Sabbath day and he broke the Sabbath. And that's where it all stems from. Nearly everything we see in this part of John stems from that one incident where he appeared to break the Sabbath in their eyes. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come and they want to find a way of accusing Jesus. Either to make him look um, as if he was breaking the law to the people or to break the Roman law and be, come under charges from them. Because the Romans wouldn't allow them to actually um, to commit to do the, uh, a capital punishment. And they already thought Jesus had broken the Sabbath. So if he said, just let her go then they would have proved that he was against the law. So their motives were not, well, they were mixed. They, sh- they, they weren't actually motivated by, by the law so much as trying to trick him, trying to get him out. But it's interesting because the law says that if two people are caught in adultery, that the man and the woman should be brought. But where's the man in this? It's just the woman that comes along. And you have to wonder whether they, that in some way, um, they, they set up the situation so that they might catch her. Now, it wasn't enough just to have an idea that someone might have been committing adultery. They actually had to catch them in the act. So people being stoned, it was very rare anyhow, because they actually had to catch them committing adultery. And they knew all of this. And so there was a lot of hypocrisy that was going on here. The motives definitely weren't pure. But when you think about this, you think of this poor woman. She's caught doing this thing, and how frightened she must have been. Brought 
by these men, probably quite manhandled and, and put before this teacher, who she may or may not have known about, to be judged, knowing that the penalty could be that that would be the end of her life. Knowing also that this was probably unjust because they didn't bring the man along as well. Can you imagine how she must have felt? And how often, how would we feel if we were caught in some bad sin and it was exposed before everyone? How, how would we feel about that? Um, and maybe it's happened to us. Maybe we've been doing something and someone's walked in and we've been exposed for, for doing something. So I believe this woman was frightened. She didn't know what was going to happen. She felt the shame of, of what she had done. She knew the whole community would be against her for what she had done. But Jesus doesn't just stand and pronounce judgment. He does something strange. He just bends down and he starts writing in the sand. And through the centuries, there's been all sorts of ideas of what he wrote. Um, was he writing the commandments? Was he writing the various sins of the Pharisees? Or was he just ignoring them? And if you look in, King, in the King James Version, they add, and I don't know whether it comes from the Greek, because I don't know whether the Greek implies it, I don't know Greek, but they say he bent down and he wrote in the ground as if they hadn't said anything. He was just ignoring them. He knew that this was a trap. But they kept persisting, we're told in verse 7. They wouldn't let this go. They were determined to hang this upon Jesus. But look what Jesus does. They were to judge Jesus, to, say, to show that he was some sort of sinner, but he turns it around upon them. And the ones who want to judge him end up the ones that are being judged. Because he points out to them that they are actually sinning themselves in what they're doing. I don't, some, some commentators believe that one of the men that were involved in this might have actually set it up and they might have been involved in this act of adultery. I don't know, I can't prove it. But whatever, these men realised that, that, um, that they had no right to throw the first stone because they themselves were sinful. Let's get a drink, mouth's drying up. And Jesus isn't really applying what he talks about in Matthew 7, verse 1 to 5, where he talks about the log in our eye. And, you know, we, it, it's so easy. And you see religious people doing this quite often. You see something that, you know, you get preachers that will preach about this sin. Perhaps it's a sexual sin, and they really go on about it because they know, actually, it doesn't apply to them. They don't want to look at the things. How often do you hear someone preaching against greed or, or um, gluttony or, or one of the other things? Very rare. And these Pharisees were, you know, were a little bit like that we can be sometimes. We, we mustn't sort of think, oh, these were terrible people because sometimes we can do the same sort of thing. We can look and see the bad in someone else without actually looking back and seeing that, in fact, in ourselves, there are things that we need to be to be um, put right. So having set this all up, having thought they caught Jesus out, Jesus does something that 
I'm sure John wants us to see, and that's he uses almost the wisdom of Solomon. Do you remember the story where um, the two prostitutes have been, they brought a dead baby, um, and one said it was her, one of them, they laid on the baby and one had died and the other one had lived, and they brought the live baby, and Solomon said, cut them in half and give half to one and half to the other, and the real mother um, came out and said, no, that's my baby, and he knew which one to give it to, give it to. She said, give it to the other woman rather than killing it. And I'm sure John wanted us to see this because the whole point of John is that Jesus is the Messiah, the king. And here we see Jesus using kingly wisdom like Solomon. So having come to a point where these men have gone away, they've realised that, that they're not going to get away with this, that Jesus isn't going to fall into this trap that they had set for him. Jesus gets up and he... And he asked the woman, where are those who condemned you? And, and she says, there's no one here, they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Now this isn't just as some of the early, um, the early uh, church thought, uh, uh, a sort of an excuse, therefore, to go and sin. What I didn't say earlier was that the early church, they, were, they thought adultery was such a huge sin that someone can only be restored back to the church if they went through a long period of penitence. But it isn't, it isn't what, what Jesus is saying, because he says, go and sin no more. It's not that this woman was innocent, because... She seems to have been guilty of this sin. She was guilty of adultery, even if the guy wasn't there. But Jesus says to her, I don't condemn you. Sin no more. And that's the basis of all the change in our lives, is you're forgiven. That's the basis where we change. Have any of you been watching, or I've just finished now, the BBC programme of Le Mis, uh, the actual dramatisation, but most of you will know the story anyhow. Of, um, and I'm going to get all the names wrong, Jean Valjean, who um, had been in prison for 19 years and he is set free and no one would take him on for work and a bishop takes him into his home and he repays this bishop for his kindness by stealing all of his silver and runs away but he gets caught and the police bring him back to the bishop and the bishop makes out or says, no, I gave that to him. And not only does he do that, but he also says, you forgot to take this and you forgot to take that. And from that moment on, that man's life was changed. <laughs> and that's exactly, what God, that's exactly what God does to us. And that's exactly what Jesus has done here, really. <laughs> I've lost my train of thought after that one. <laughs> he not, not only does God forgive us not only does he not condemn us anymore, but like in that story, Lemis, he actually gives us more. He gives us stuff. He gives us eternal life. He gives us every blessing in heavenly places. He doesn't just forgive us. He gives us more. And it's the basis on which we move forward in life. That we're no longer condemned. That we no longer stand guilty before God. This woman stood guilty before Jesus. Don't even see her saying, I'm sorry, but he forgives her. 
He says, I don't condemn you. Now, sometimes we can think forgiveness is cheap. doesn't cost anything. And I think that's what a lot of people have a problem with when it comes to forgiveness. What stops that person from going away and doing it again? But forgiveness is always costly. To forgive someone, we have to bear the, 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 the weight of that pain. There's this, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, there was in, in America, there was a guy who went into, a, um, I think it was a school, um, where there were Mennonites, and he shot all the children. And all of the people in that community, those who had had their killed, children shot, they looked after, and then he shot himself, looked after his family and showed immense forgiveness. And that, that to the world seems hard to understand, but that cost them. That meant laying aside their desire for revenge and saying, no, I'll leave that. I forgive you. So forgiveness isn't something that's free, it's costly. When we're asked to forgive someone, we have to bear the price of what they've done wrong. If someone comes in and smashes your home up and you choose to forgive them, you've still got to repair it. It's still going to cost you. And it's the same with God. There was a price to be paid for our sins. So let's not think that what Jesus was doing here was just saying, go off and it doesn't matter. He's not saying that. He's saying, I set you free. Go and live in that newness of life. And that's what we should do. Every single one of us stands before God. Every single one of us who knows him has been set free. And that forgiveness isn't a forgiveness that means that we should then forego and do whatever we, we want, it should result in a change of heart that says, I just want to serve you. That doesn't mean we're going to do it perfectly. That doesn't mean we're not going to fail, because we will. But it means a complete change in heart. When we see what Jesus has done for us, when we see, stand before him in shame, like this woman did, he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father, I want to give you thanks that however this story was included in the, in the Bible, Lord, that it's there. And that we see in the face of Jesus your love, your forgiveness, and your goodness. And we see your wisdom as well, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that though we can stand before you condemned, condemning ourselves, being condemned by others. Even if we're not being caught out, we know that you see what we do. And yet you say, I don't condemn you. And allow us to walk in freedom in knowing you. And so we pray, Father, that over this coming week and over this month that we over the months we will meditate upon what you've done for us, that the forgiveness that you gave us was with a cost, the cost of your own life, and that that would motivate us, and that you didn't just forgive us, but you piled blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon us, and you even gave your spirit that we might walk in your ways. We ask, Father, that as a people, that this would just permeate our minds and our lives, 
and that when we meet others who are hurting and broken and who know shame, Lord, that rather than pointing the finger, we would look at ourselves and we would remember how good and kind and loving you were towards us, Lord. And that that would motivate us in reaching out to them with that same love and forgiveness that you show. In Jesus' name, amen.